welcome to the Real Estate Raw Show, hosted by Joe Mendoza. Hi guys, Joe Mendoza here in sunny San Diego. Welcome to my show. Thanks so much for subscribing, sharing the good word today, ladies and gentlemen, from Eugene, Oregon. All right, we have Gabriel Hamill, incredible investor, former Army National Guard. This is going to be great. He's been investing in multiple different asset classes from single family, multifamily, even mobile home parks. So we're going to get into a lot of different topics today. Welcome to the show, Gabriel. How are you? Hey, doing great, Joe. Thanks for, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Thanks for taking the time out of your day. I'm super excited to get to know you. So let's uh, take us back. Take the audience back before real estate. What were you doing? Yeah. So uh, I guess we can go back, let's say to high school. Um, yeah. You know, school school for me was, uh, you know, I, I really stayed in school more for the social aspect. I was, a, I was a high school wrestler and I'd say the athletics and the social aspect of school is really what really what kept me there. Um, and I had joined the Army National Guard my senior year of high school and I was doing the, the one week in a month uh, training and I went to basic training the fall after my senior year of high school. Um, and I just did a bunch of odd and end jobs, uh, kind of those, those first couple of years out of high school. And then I picked up Rich Dad Poor Dad around 2002. And that was the first book that I read, like word for word, cover to cover. I mean, I just, I didn't think that I actually liked learning until I read that book. And I was like, wow, I just haven't found something yet that I, that I wanted to, to learn. And so that book was really impactful for me. It's, it's not a how to, but it's, it's a very much mindset around finances. And so, um, Shortly after reading that book, I decided like, I'm going to become financially free. I'm going to do it through real estate. And then I got a call in 2003 um, and I got deployed. I was deployed over to Iraq and Kuwait for about a year. And I constantly thought about the lessons I learned in that book. I told all my friends and all the guys I was deployed with, hey, I, I'm going to come back. I'm going to build this real estate empire. I'm going to build wealth and I do it through real estate. And most of them said, you're an idiot. How are you going to do that? Um uh, I, mean, I was literally living in like a friend's attic for a hundred dollars a month before, before we got deployed. And they're like, how are you going to do this? And I said, I have no idea how, but, but I am going to, I'm going to, I'm going to learn how to do it. And so I came back uh, from the deployment in 2004 and I looked for a year and I bought my two, my first house in 2005. And that was really the beginning of kind of, kind of the journey. I, I rented out two of the rooms. Now you hear people call it house hacking. I didn't know what house hacking was. It just, made sense to rent out two of the three rooms and, and live for less than I could anywhere else. And that was really the beginning of my journey. That's awesome. Now, were you still serving our country doing this investing part time or were you on your way out? Yeah, it was an interesting journey. So 2005, I bought my first house and it was the year I got out of the military completely. So 2005, it's during the subprime, like I had no job, you know, no, no income and, and they still gave me a loan and the market was hot back then. So uh, it was a no money down deal with the bank. I've, I've never traditionally financed a property other than my first three properties. Um, and, and I don't know if you can even consider those traditionally financed. It was all subprime, like no documentation type loans. So 2005 bought my first house, 2006 bought another one, 2007 bought a third one. And then I'd also opened up a, a small nutrition store in 2006. So by 2008, I have this nutrition store that was making no money. I have three houses. Um, that are cash flowing a little bit, living in one of them. And um, I found out that I was having a child. My first son was born in 2008. And I, I kind of had this moment of like, I have these few houses, the store's not making money. 
I need to get serious about real estate. Like, what am I going to do? So I went back to the bank and they said, Hey, sorry, guidelines have changed. You actually need a down payment. You actually need documented income, like none of which I had, right? I didn't have a high paying job. My business wasn't making money. Uh, and, and, and the bank said too bad. And so I remember briefly hearing something about seller financing. So from 2008 to, to nine, I, I looked every day uh, on Craigslist. I found a, oh, also in 2000, I took a job. So after shutting my store down, I did a bunch of odd and end jobs, like literally anything from help wanted ads to just anywhere I could pick up a job. And I eventually found um, a job in a high school special education class as a, as a teacher aide. It was a minimum wage job. And about three months into that, I'm literally cleaning crap out of a bathroom stall that a kid had thrown everywhere. And, and I, I started thinking about my, my dreams of being financially free. And I thought, this isn't what I want to do. And as much as my heart goes out to those kids, like this is not my dream. Um, so I got on Craigslist every single night after work. And I just searched up those keywords, owner financing, seller financing, owner terms. And I, I eventually found uh, two duplexes side by side that cash flowed almost to the dollar that I was making at that job. I finished out that year and, and I stopped working. So I, I became financially free very fast and very young, but I was less than $1,500 a month cash flow positive. So I was far from wealthy at the time. Um, but I, that's, that's, how I, that's how I really started uh, getting serious about investing. And everything I did from 09 through 13 was no money down seller finance deals. Now, this is an interesting time. And thanks for taking me through that journey. I'm going to rewind the tape a little bit yeah, so to, yeah. to kind of go into some of the details. Uh, so you get out of the military. You said your first three were traditional. Were they more like the VA no-nos or were they more the ninja loans? Like they were kind of know about. They were, they were, they were definitely the ninja loans. So um, yeah, I never got a VA loan until like years later on, on my primary. So the first one was like a 80, 20 style loan where they would do the 80% 20% with two different lenders. Um, it was literally a no documentation loan, um, no money down. Second one, very similar. The third one was a 5% down, down deal. And so, you know, three properties in, I'm going, this is easier. This is like easier <laughs> than the books I've read. Like I can just go to the bank once a year and just move every You're year printing money at that point. I remember, I remember yeah. those days. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I thought like, and I, I wasn't thinking as big as, as I am now where I'm like, gosh, every year, like 20 years, I'll have 20 houses. Like that's, that's pretty solid until 2008 when they said, sorry, man, things have changed. Like investment property, you need, they told me you need 30% down and you need two years worth of, you know, solid income. Go get a, go get a job or go to school and, and get educated and, Get yourself a job so you can so you can qualify for a house. And I just thought that's I know that's not my path. So I had to find another way. And, and seller financing was was that way for me. Now you said you bought most of your property, if not all, in Oregon. Is that correct? Correct. Yep. Okay. Now California, we went through this crazy time around that time from 2005, 2007. The market started crashing. All of a sudden, these properties were five hundred thousand. They're now worth two fifty. Yeah, one million. They're worth the five hundred thousand. It was a really, really crazy time. Were yep. you experiencing some of that with your rental properties? Yes and no. So I mean, we didn't have the the hyper growth and the crash as much as say parts of California and other parts of the country. But it it yeah, it was up. It was down. But two thousand five, like I still made sure I bought well. Right. So two thousand five. Uh, you know, I'm making all these offers and 
the, it was a friend, ended up being a friend of the realtor's son that bought this house. And I'm standing there going, nobody knows this is for sale. Like I'm being offered this house at this price that's below what I know the house across the street sold for. Like this makes sense. So I quickly learned how important relationships were that, you know, I had already decided in my mind that I was an investor. So when I owned one home, I went and made business cards and I told the guy at the gym. So now we're at, you know, 2005, 2006. And I was like, I'm looking for a home. I'm investing in real estate. I, even though I own one house. And he said, Hey, my friends, my friend's dad selling his old rental. They've been, you know, their kids have been living in it for years. He doesn't want to hire a realtor. And all of a sudden, so even in a hot market, even when things were just, you know, uh, top dollar, this thing appraised out for 40,000 uh, over what I got in contract for, because just the ease of business, just because I opened my mouth and was willing to tell someone what I was looking for, created an opportunity in a hot market. I wasn't the guy that went out and bought the most expensive property that I could possibly be financed on. I bought something that made sense that I knew I could transition out and it was still pencil as a rental property. And so that's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Now I'm glad you said that word pencil out. So back in the day, uh, playing in the earlier stages, because I'm trying to also inspire some younger folks or newer folks in the real estate buying investment arena, where there are certain rules of thumb that you had then that you still use now, aside from seller financing, where yeah. you using like the 1% rule or buy 30% under market? Were there any rules of thumb that you use then that you I, use now? Yeah, it's a good question. I knew none of that stuff. Like I didn't know there wasn't bigger pockets. There wasn't all these things, you know, like for me, it was, it was cash flow first. I understood that, that cash flow was important. If I had enough cash flow, I could live off of that. So it was literally just basic math and intuition. I was like, all right, this is what this would rent for based on what I know in the market and, and being local that area, I really had a good idea of what things rented for and kind of where prices were. And it was just basic math of these are what my hard expenses are going to be. These are going to be my costs and this is what it's going to rent for. And, you know, going in with no money, it was, it was an infinite return. I knew my risk was minimal. I'm like, I'm into this thing, no money. If I'm wrong, what's the worst case scenario, right? Uh, you know, even with my first seller finance deal, I, I was asked a while back, how much reserves I had. I didn't have any reserves, but it was a no money down deal. And the risk of not doing that deal, all the what ifs that could happen in real estate outweighed the risk of not doing that deal, right? It, it cash flowed from day one. And I thought, and you know, I didn't know all this stuff about cash on cash return. I didn't know what a cap rate was, all these things I didn't know, but I knew that it cash flowed from day one and I'm into that thing, no money. It's an infinite, an infinite return. And the worst case scenario isn't that bad. I've never bought a house that I regret buying. And every single house I bought, I could have found a reason not to buy it. That's awesome, Gabe. And so some people may be listening to this and still not understanding seller financing or no money down, might even have some hallucination or disbelief that this thing is real. I know it's sure. real. You know it's real. It's been done. What were some of the pushbacks that you might get from sellers typically? How did you overcome them? Yeah, it's a good, it's a good question. And um, one thing I realized after doing a few deals is I had never done a seller financing deal where I had to talk or convince a seller into carrying financing. Not, not that you couldn't, because I know people who have, who've had to educate the sellers on what seller financing was. But after looking every day for a year, and I would talk to other sellers and the terms just didn't, didn't work for me. But when I came across the, the two duplexes side by side, so the four units that did pencil out, and there was some negotiating, but the terms that they were offering were pretty favorable. And the terms they were offering was what, what they wanted. And so after I did a few deals, I actually, in my mind, I thought, oh my gosh, this is amazing as a buyer. I need to go educate 
all these sellers on why they should carry financing and more so like why they should carry financing for me. I thought that would be the path of going out, finding all these sellers and presenting them with the opportunity and telling them what the advantages as a seller are um, because it truly is a win-win scenario. It's good for the seller, good for the buyer. But then I, I thought, and I went, wait a minute, these last five properties or four properties or whatever it was that I bought, the sellers already wanted to carry financing. I never talked anyone into carrying financing. They already understood the advantage of the seller. All I said was, hey, what kind of terms are you interested in? And then they told me. Like, I wasn't this hard-ass negotiator of like, here's what I'm going to give you, take it, or here's why seller financing is better. They wanted to carry financing. I found that sellers were either stuck on price, down payment, or interest rate. I didn't have down payments. And so I had to find sellers that didn't care as much about the down payment and was more interested in other aspects of the deal. And there's a lot of reasons. Like if you were to cash out a seller, unless they do a 1031, right? They're paying a huge capital gain all at, all at once. So there's sellers that don't want to pay that huge capital gain. And if you give them a large down payment, they're having to pay a big gain in that year. And so it created a scenario where I didn't have a down payment. And I, had, I found sellers that also didn't want a large down payment or who didn't want to be cashed out. And so it was That's really a win-win scenario. That's beautiful, dude. Now, what if they ever said something like, okay, so how much skin are you putting in the deal or how much money are you bringing to the table? What was your reply at that point? If you, you know, you knew you had no money, what would you yeah. typically say? Yeah, it, it would depend. So the, a lot of times, a lot of times, interestingly enough, it, like it wouldn't come up where I would almost go, I wonder if they want a down payment. Like they've said nothing like they're talking about interest rate and the purchase price. And they're telling me all about the tenants. Like, and I did that first deal where they didn't ask for any down. And I'm thinking, gosh, maybe like, maybe it just doesn't come up. Right. And, and then I would come across deals where they would, they would want more down than a bank would, you know, want and, and properties that I just, at the time, I, I just, I didn't buy for, for that very reason. But the ones where the sellers weren't concerned with the down payment, we just negotiated other terms. Like it, it, it almost didn't even come up in, in conversation, but even to this day, a lot of times, and, and now most of these deals were non-listed properties. So I was dealing with the seller directly, or maybe they just threw it up on Craigslist or I had called them and we, you know, I got to have face-to-face and conversation with, with listed properties. It's a little trickier because a lot of agents and brokers aren't investors. And a lot of them, even if they are, don't know a lot about seller financing. So sometimes I'll have agents throw something out like, Oh, my, my seller would need at least 50% down. And a lot of times I don't even think they've talked to the seller. They're just assuming like, I want to get paid. They probably want this, this large down where in a lot of cases, like if, if I know what the seller's needs are and that's where it becomes, if I can get face to face, it becomes a lot more human, a lot more relationship based where if it's listed, the tricky part is it's, it's so much more transactional. If I tell my agent to put something on paper who presents their agent, who then presents it to them, I have no idea if the seller wants that or not. They don't know who I am. I don't know who they are. And so it kind of becomes this, this game where it's really easy for them to just say no. But if I can get face to face and just say, Hey, what are, what are your needs? You know, like, or if there's a, like, how can I, how can I solve that problem? It's just so much more human. Gabriel, I'm laughing. I have a big smile on my face. People who is just listening to this on audible, not on the YouTube because you are so on point. I mean, I'm a broker, I'm an agent, I'm in that arena and there's commercial brokers and agents. I'll throw that out. Seller financing, carryback, AITD, wraparound. It's going way over their head sometimes. 
And then you're absolutely right. A lot of the times they don't even approach the seller because they don't understand it. And they're going to look like an idiot mm-hmm. if they try to ask their seller, hey, do you want to do seller financing? Hey, do you want to do a seller carryback? So exactly, right exactly. point, Gabriel. Yeah. I appreciate that. Let's fast forward. So sure. multifamily, mobile home parks, you're doing that too. Are you still using the same creative financing to acquire those kind of properties? Yeah. So up until 20, about 2014, I had only done seller financing besides those first couple of deals. So it was all 2009 through 13, 14 was all seller finance deals. And then 20, and I, and I, I understood about hard money and private money. In fact, I walked into a hard money lender's office years before I ever borrowed money because I wanted to establish the relationship. I probably looked like a crazy guy. I, I've talked to her now about it because we're, we're friends. Like I literally walked in there and like, I'm Gabriel Hamill and we're going to do business together someday. And I just wanted you know, to meet. And she probably thought like, who is this guy off the street? But I wanted to establish that relationship. So years later, when I, when I did ask to borrow hard money, she at least knew who I was. And so I think, I think that's important, but the the person that became my first private money lender, it was very interesting. So in 2014, I refinanced all my seller finance deals that I collected over 2009 through 13, all in a traditional financing. So one thing unique about that is every single one of those properties appraised out. I mean, the, the market was on my side. The interest rates were low. Uh, I was I got the bad tenants out, improved the properties a little bit, got the higher paying, better tenants in there. So they all appraised out. Had I tried to you know, buy those traditionally, I would have had to come to the table with 30% on every one of those purchases, where by 2014, I was in the same scenario, locked in a 30-year fixed at low interest without having to bring any money to the table. And then one of the, one of the original sellers who I paid off, she said, what am I going to do with all this money? Cause she was financing several properties. She said, what am I going to do with all this money? And I said, you can lend it back to me. And she laughed. She kind of thought I was joking. She's like, Oh, that's, yeah. Uh. And a couple months later, she called up and said, Hey, were you serious about that? And I said, well, yeah, absolutely. If you'd like to finance a deal, um, that would be great because we already established that relationship. I had already been paying her on time every month for years. And so she was, she wanted the return on her money, just like, just like the reason she carried the financing because she wanted cash flow. She wanted monthly income. She didn't want that lump sum. So when she get, got paid off, she was very happy to lend that money. And she became the first private money lender I had for, for future deals. And so the relationship didn't stop just because I paid her off because again, it was less transactional and more relationship-based. I mean, I used to hand deliver her my mortgage payment every month for years because I wanted to establish that, that rapport and relationship with her. Love it, Gabriel. Man, you're dropping some serious golden nuggets, man. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, You've invested in multiple ask classes now. Which ones are your favorite? Which ones are you still doing or you bailed out on some of these? Yeah, I've, I've, you know, I'm not, I'm really not buying single family anymore. Um, You know, I, I've picked up a couple like smaller portfolios of, um, one was a commercial, like small multi with a handful of single families. Um, but I'm really not looking at single family anymore. I like multifamily, but it kind of moved me or I chose to move into the mobile home park space um, in 2019. And a lot of it was because I feel like the mobile home park space operates very similar to, to multifamily. And I had purchased a 15 unit um, uh, multifamily apartment and a 20, 22 unit multifamily property. And and as I was looking to grow, I felt like the cap rates were just being super condensed down, like the returns were almost nothing on most of the multifamily. 
Um, and so I started looking at I started looking at mobile home parks, and I felt like there was a lot of value add opportunity uh, with mobile home park space. So I, I bought my first mobile home park. Um, I think it was in July of 2019. Uh, my second one, the end of the end of 2019. One one of them I used uh, hard money on. The other was a seller finance deal. It was a phenomenal seller finance deal. And I and I share this one as an example a lot. Not not to brag, but just the power of seller financing. It was a 2% down deal. It was a 200% cash on cash return. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the way I got to that number and even how I got to that deal was almost a decade prior, just going back to how important relationships are. And I share this story a lot is, is years before I reached out to a guy, he was a developer. He was building these beautiful apartment buildings on campus where I live. And I thought, who is this guy? Like, these buildings were going up everywhere. It was different than anything in town. And, and I was like, I just want to know this guy's story. And I reached out to him and very graciously, you know, he sat down and just shared his story with me. He was buying, uh, you know, multi, you know, small and medium-sized multifamilies in the seventies when he was going to law school. And then it became, it, it made more sense for him to develop this, you know, years later, we kept in contact. I didn't reach out to him because I wanted anything from him. I wasn't selling him anything. I wasn't trying to buy anything from him. I just admired his work and wanted to know his story. And we had kept in contact over the years. And then years later, he said, hey, a friend of mine selling a single family the next town over, are you interested? And I said, I'm really not looking at uh, any single family. I'm looking at multifamily, but more specifically mobile home parks. And he said, I have a mobile home park. And I said, would you sell or finance it? And he said, yeah, I, I, I would sell or finance it. So we sat down, I mean, literally on a piece of paper, we wrote out, we wrote out terms and, and the terms were favorable. And, and it's, you know, he didn't need a large down payment for one. He didn't want more taxable income. We had a relationship established. So he knew I wasn't just somebody off the, you know, off the street making up these terms. He knew I had a track record investing in real estate. So the terms were favorable for him and for me. He's a sophisticated investor, but his time and energy is not spent on the mobile home park space. He's developing these beautiful, you know, now riverfront properties and retirement communities and, and, and such. So it was a win for him and it was a win for me. And it's, it just shows the power of, how important relationships are, but also how important it is to open your mouth and tell people what you're looking for. I could have easily said, yeah, I'll look at that single family or no, I'm not interested and left it there. But when I said, no, I'm really looking at value add multifamily, more specifically mobile home parks, he said, oh, I have a park. I had no idea this guy owned mobile home parks, right? So it, the, just the power of opening your mouth and telling people what you're looking for is, uh, is so important. Love it, Gabriel. Now you said relationships or relation God, maybe a couple hundred times. <laughs> yeah, I'll probably I'll probably say it a few more too. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, no, but, I probably will say more. But I do get it. And so, what are some of the favorite books or or hacks that you could share with the audience um, if they're not a relationship kind of person and they need to develop that skill? What would you say to them, or what book to read? Gosh, um, I mean, I think the first book that came to my mind, like How to Win Friends and Influence People. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's, yeah. And, and it's a classic. I, I almost think the title is deceiving. Like when I saw that, I was like, oh gosh, I'm not, the, it, it seems like, like you're trying to convince people to like you and fake them out. And then when I read the book, I'm like, wow, this is literally just telling people, treat people good, <laughs> like treat people good, right? Like listen to them and treat them good. And so it's like, that's just naturally uh, resonated with me anyway. Right? Like, so when I go, when I say relationships, it doesn't have to be always business. Like I meet people all the time. Some may be acquaintances, some may be lifelong friends, 
you know, some I may never see again and some may lead to, you know, a business deal. I just don't ever go into it with like, what can I get from that person? Like, I'm truly genuinely interested in other people. I like people. I like getting to know people. I think everybody has something valuable to offer the world. And I just, I just enjoy that. Whether or not that, that leads to a deal, I don't, I don't care. Sometimes it does, but I'm not going into it for, for that reason. Love it, Gabriel. Now, any specific reason why you stay close and invest primarily or only in Eugene, Oregon? Yeah, I've been, I've been asked that before. Um, it's, you know, that wasn't, that wasn't the plan. And, um, but I realized as I started buying properties and started having more conversations with people, I knew this market and more importantly, this sub market. So growing up here, I, I just, I saw where different trends were going, like neighborhoods that people wanted to be in, neighborhoods that people didn't want to be in, neighborhoods that uh, were getting better rent, rents than other neighborhoods. And so naturally with knowing the sub markets within the market, and then just that organic networking, I felt like I could make really good decisions. Now I know people that are, you know, there's so many ways to kick ass within real estate. I mean, I know people that, that live in California and they invest in six other States and they own nothing in California, but it's, you know, and, and there's a lot of ways to do it. And so I believe like if someone's going to invest somewhere else, they either have to know that market or have a strong team there. Uh, it just naturally grew for me by, because I knew the market and, and this is where I would have conversations with people. Will I only invest in this market? I, I don't know. I mean, I've, I've looked at other markets, but I can make a very strong and, and quick decision on, on properties here because of those reasons. Wow, that's awesome. Gabriel, you brought so incredible value to our audience, so many golden nuggets. Anything else you wanted to share or promote or best way to reach you? Gosh, um, yeah, I mean, best way to reach me, I'm pretty active on Instagram, uh, Gabriel R. Hamill, or if you just search Gabriel Hamill, you'll find me. Uh, my website's hamillinvestments.com. I'll, when, this, when this episode comes out, I'll make sure that that gets posted on the, on the website. But really, anyone that, anyone that wants to reach out, um, Instagram is the best way. And I, you know, one, one way that I enjoy giving back is I will jump on a call with someone that, that reaches out, whether it's a specific question or they're working on a deal or they're just, they're just getting started. I mean, for me, one of the most exciting things is when, when someone tells me, Hey, I'm thinking about investing in real estate or they're just getting started. And then they update me, you know, whether it's a month later or a year later and say, Hey, I just did my first deal or I just became financially free or whatever, whatever it might be. Like, I just love seeing and being a part of other people's journey in the, in the real estate um, and the financial freedom world. I love it. Thank you again so much. Thanks for serving our country. Absolutely. Thank you for being on the show and we wish you well. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Joe. I appreciate it. Wow. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. I hope you learned as much as I did or more. So guys, Look at the comment thread. If you've seen something or heard something, want to learn more about something, please put it on the comment link below. If you're not a subscriber yet, go ahead and hit the subscribe button. Go ahead and smash that bell to hear the latest and greatest on the show. Follow me on Facebook. Follow me on Instagram. I'm putting this channel together to hopefully add incredible value to you. And if you want to learn more about investing, you're new to investing, I highly recommend this book, Flex with a Plex. Also, this book, if you're having some challenges, as you can see, everybody on the show had some kind of adversity, including yours truly. So I shared a lot of that 
on making a comeback, giving you some incredible tips to make a comeback. So get either one, flex with a plex, or make it a comeback. If you want to get more tips, go ahead and go to JoeMendoza.com. Again, subscribe, share, like, make a comment below. I really, really appreciate you. Want to add incredible value and wish you all the best in your success in real estate and in life. Take care. Our company is not responsible for the success or failure of your business decisions relating to any information presented by our company or our company programs, products, and or services.